Thank you, Brother Eric. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3. It's all about Jesus. I'm going to say that again. It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about this church. It's not about our great fellowship. It's not about our great cooks, our recreation program, our student ministry. It's all about Jesus. For the last five weeks, we have been hovering over that. You see it on the screen and on the, uh, um, on the banner to my right, your left. We've been talking about Jesus talking about being joyful, we've been talking about being encouraging, we're talking about being spirit-filled, we've been talking about being unselfish. And today we're going to talk about being a sensitive servant. Today about a sensitive servant. So if you turn to Acts 3, we're going to leave this on the screen for a second because I want to begin with a story that kind of epitomizes the entire message today. There was a rich man, and in his day he was called a rich landlord. And he decided to organize and put together a community feed in the temple there. And that day it was called a langer. But he put together the, the, the feed. He targeted the poor of the community. And he had all kind of good stuff. He had rice and beans and vegetables and, oh, it was just a good spread. And he decided to give every person who came through the line a free mango. The day came and hundreds shows up and it's going well and he's so pleased with, with the efforts and people are getting fed. His son was working the line, helping the people who, uh, who had eaten, helping them sit down on their mats and getting comfortable and everything. And, <clears throat> and just a little bit, the son went to, the, to his daddy. He said, Father, he said, see those three men on the second row over there? Yeah. They don't look like they belong here. They look like they're well enough to eat their own food and make their own um, make their own way. They they don't look like they belong here. Why don't you ask them to leave? Why would you feed them? And the father said, "Son, we are responsible to do our duty. We're to do what we are called to do and led to do." Let them take responsibility for what they are. We'll continue to serve. If they do this, it's on them. And I don't want to hear anything else about it. Go and do your job. Well, as you can imagine, the son didn't like it. But he had no choice but to go out and serve these three men. So the day passed and the rich man went home. And he heard a knock on his door. And when he opened the door, he was surprised to find that one of those three men was standing at his door. And he said, sir, he said, "Uh, you don't know me. But I'm unemployed. In fact, I'm lazy by nature. I don't like to work. And I get free meals anywhere I can. And this morning, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, if you'll give me a meal today free of charge, I will, go do, I will go back to work and I will do my work. And I came to the temple area around noon and I got that free meal. So I'm here today to tell you that if you'll hire me, I will work for you. You inspired me. 
And so the rich man immediately gave him a job. Night came, went. The next day, the rich man went back to the temple, and they were kicking the line up again. It was getting started again. And but lo and behold, he saw one a second man of those three men. He saw the second man there in line. But today he was in a different part of the line. Yesterday he was in the part of the line that was getting. Today he was in the part of the line that was serving, and he had a spoon serving. And he walked up to the man. He said, you know, sir, excuse me, but yesterday you were eating, and today you're here. Why, why is that? And he said, well, I'm kind of embarrassed with this, he said, but I, I love eating other people's food. I love eating free food. He said, but actually I'm very rich. And yesterday when I saw you doing this and how you gave with no questions asked, I thought, what a shame that I've had all that I've had for all of my life. And I've never given any. So today, I'm here to serve. You inspired me. Well, the man was taken a little aback, but he left the the man to continue to serve, and he went into the temple to pray. And when he walked into the temple, the third man was there praying. And he was, not only was he shocked to see him there praying, but when the man got up from his prayers, he walked over to the rich man, and, and the rich man was kind of shocked about that. And he goes, look, he said, uh, um, again, you don't know me. Until yesterday, I was an avowed, staunch atheist. And I was having a conversation with one of my friends yesterday morning, and they asked me, they said, what would it take... What would God have to do to get you to believe and trust in him? He said, I I said, if today someone would give me a mango free of charge, I would believe there was a God and I would trust in him. He said, I came to the temple yesterday. They fed fed me food and just before I got out of the line, Someone handed me a mango. And so today I'm calling on the God because I knew that confirmed to me that there was a God, a God who loved me, a God who cared for me. And I'm here today to thank you for what you did. Brothers and sisters, that story epitomizes the spirit of the Jesus Church. We may never know what our mango is that we offer. For you see, it can be anything. It can be something simple. It can be something huge. But we never know when we give in Jesus' name. That's why the scripture says, give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. That might be the mango that brings someone to Christ. You know that I read the biography of uh, Adrian Rogers written by his wife, Joyce, and that she she referred to Bellevue Church as a Jesus church. And it impacted my heart for this reason, to think that a pastor's wife 
of that many years would view that congregation in such a high and holy and exemplary way, spoke worlds to me. And then, and then you, you think about what Adrian did when he, when he announced his retirement. He wrote these words. Can I just read them for you? To Bellevue, he said, Never have I asked you to do anything in the name of Jesus that you did not endeavor to do. And never did I have a need that you did not endeavor to meet. Less than a year before Adrian Rogers passed away, we were privileged to go on a, a cruise, a Christian cruise with him. And I'll tell you what I learned. He was a deep man of faith. He loved God and he loved people. And can you imagine, he spent 32 years conveying that to the church that we know as Bellevue Church in Memphis. The Jesus Church. For me, it's not just a banner I hang. It's not just a sermon series that I preach. This thing of being a Jesus Church burns deep in me. It's my heart cry for a church that I have already grown to love so much. More than anything else in the world, I pray that we not only be or become a Jesus church, but I pray that we become known far and wide by people in this county, in this region. If you want to know what church acts and responds and gives and cares like Jesus, it's New Hope in Foxworth. And admitted this acrostic is not exhaustive. It's not all-encompassing. But, but for me, it just gonna, it's going to serve as a rudder on a ship to charge us in the right direction. Because here's what I know and you know. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is more than most of us think it is. You see, the truth is the church of Jesus Christ is the only entity, the only tie between time and eternity, between sin and forgiveness, between life and death, between heaven and hell. The booster clubs, the Civitan club, other clubs, uh, Shriners, for all the good they do, and they do so much good, they will never and can never offer the answer for life only the church can do that. And she will do that only when we become, as we're going to talk today, sensitive servants. Now, our story today is in Acts chapter 3. You've heard me mention this many, many times. We're going to stand, if you will, and if you can. Some of you cannot. That's okay. Acts chapter 3, we're going to read 10 verses. Now, now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day, that means daily, at the temple gate called Beautiful, so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. 
Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold. Or Old King James, silver and gold have I none. But what I do have, <clears throat> I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up and once... And at once his feet and ankles became strong. I'd call that a miracle. So he jumped up and started to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment or wonder at what had happened to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask that you take over. We know you don't just take part, but when you, you either take over or you take off, and we ask you to come in and take over. I pray that the message that we need to hear today will be the message that you deliver today. Remove me. Hide me behind the cross. Let your spirit flood over us and bring us to being your servants who are sensitive to those around us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Without a doubt, you've heard me mention this story many times in the past 14 months. Without a doubt, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And one of the reasons that it's my favorite story is because it exemplifies that the church that we guys should not just be getters or receivers. We should give. We shouldn't just sit around and bask just that God's given to us and we expect to give. You know, think about Peter and John in this story. Peter and John were still basking in the glow of the close encounter with the Holy Spirit of God at Pentecost. They were enjoying the remembrances of the great service. Have you thought about it? Peter got up and he preached for 15 minutes and 3,000 people got saved. And they felt the Holy Spirit of God. It, the Holy Spirit of God fell and convicted people and drew people. And people were changed and lives were, were changed. And then after that, they were enjoying, if you read the end of the second chapter, they were enjoying the daily times of getting together for prayer, the daily times of getting together for worship, the daily times of getting together for fellowship, the daily times of getting together for Bible study, discipleship. The daily times of just getting together and seeing more people saved daily. They were having a great time in the Lord. And, and they just wanted kind of to enjoy it. Can I just, can I kind of put a pause? I'm going to try to put a pause a couple of places here because this story speaks so much to me. A revival like that is what I'm praying for, for us. That's what I'm praying for. 
But may I just say this? Here's the issue. There are some of us that don't think we need a revival. We're good enough. We're faithful enough. We're spiritual enough. You see, the truth is, God moves in when hearts are broken and we become desperate. And that's what happened when, can you imagine how desperate they were when Jesus, when Jesus ascended? He was there, everything, and now he's gone. But now he promised to send somebody, so they were desperate enough to go spend 10 days in prayer waiting for that person. Folks, I want that kind of revival among us. When people speak of revival, I'd love them to speak, boy, you know that church out there in the country? That church on 10 Mile Creek? I don't know who all's in it, but I'm going to tell you, the Spirit of God is alive there. When I read this story, this is, this, these 10 verses are the epitome of what's supposed to happen when the revival meeting is over. Peter and John gives us, first of all, an example of what he expects. I mean, they're going up to the temple to pray. But let's stop just a second. If we're going to be a Jesus church, if we're going to be a Jesus people, it's going to happen when I'm a Jesus person. And that's because Jesus is the center of our lives. You can't work your way around it. You can't think your way around it. If, if God would bless anybody for trying to figure it out, he'd bless Baptists because we figured it, we've tried to figure out everything about how to do church and how to be successful at church and how to grow church. We've tried to figure our way around uh, having to submit to the Lord and having to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We try to do it every other way. We, we have constitutions that are 37 pages long. We, we have rules and regulations that, that, would, that would rival what the federal government has. But the bottom line is, if we don't submit to him, if we don't submit to him and let him be the Lord of our lives, the, the King of kings and, and, and the Savior of our lives, and, and if we don't let him be our everything, we're not ever going to be anything. He calls us. He wants to forgive us of our sin. He wants to give us a new direction. He wants to infill us. He wants to lead us. Oh, Brother Jerry, I did that years ago. Well, listen, if that's the last testimony you have that you've done anything with the Lord, is the day I knelt and prayed, you've missed the whole bucket. That's only the first start. That's kind of like opening the door, walking through, because he's got so much more for us he wants us to have and know and do and be. Pick on Pud here. Pud sat in my office. If this is confidential, I'll, ask, I'll get before you and, and bow, ask forgiveness. But Pud said this. He said, I spent all my life milking cows, and I missed so much spiritual in my life because I never knew, and now I want it to be what God wants it to be. That should be the prayer of every one of us. Peter and John heard the message. They heeded the message, and their lives were changed. What were they changed into? I'm going to give you three thoughts if you're, if you're right, taking score, writing down notes. We'll tell you three things about these two guys. First of all, they were servants. They were servants. Well, Brother Jerry, that, this scripture doesn't say anything about servants. How do you know they're servants? Well, watch the Bible. Second Peter chapter 1, Peter says, 
a servant of Christ. Jesus' servant. Second Peter chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, John's on the Isle of Patmos and Jesus comes to him and he starts writing it. He's probably writing it as fast and furious as he can because he doesn't want to miss anything. And he refers to himself as his servant. They were servants. That, that word in the Greek means doulos. We, want, we, want, we don't want to be a doulos. A doulos is a servant. Sometimes it's a bond servant. Sometimes it's, a, it's a, someone under servitude. It's voluntary servanthood. It's, it's involuntary servanthood. It's literally a servant is in subjection. You read all of the letters of Paul. He uses the word slave and servant interchangeably as he's a slave and servant to the Lord. Now, let's get down where we live. In 21st century America, there is so much pride that we go, I'm not going to be a servant to anybody. I got to thinking about this. And Jesus said, I'm right there with you. I'm not going to be a servant to anybody. I'm going to be a servant to everybody. Hello? He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And my children, they didn't come to be served. They came to serve. The Christ follower must say, I haven't come to be served. I've come to serve. And I'm just going to tell you, this attitude that's going on in the church for 50 years is killing the church. And if time permitted, I'd try to unpack all of this in the American culture. But the truth is the pride of the American culture. If you get offended at this, I'll just say this, is that when you throw a rock at a pack of dogs, the only one that hollers is the one you hit, okay? The attitude in the American church is entitlement. What I'm entitled to. What's my right? What I deserve. In fact, the prevailing attitude is what's in it for me. What's in it for me? If I go to that church, what do I get out of it? Friend Derek Johnson wrote a book. He said the question shouldn't be what's in it for me. The question should be is what's in me for it. You see, being a servant means that we don't do our own thing. We do his thing. And when you get to the scripture, after their spiritual high of Pentecost, what were they doing? What were they doing? They were going up to the temple to pray. To pray. As best I've known how, for the last 14 months, I've tried to call us back to prayer. Talked to my former pastor over at Agricola, and his church uh, did a little um, pastor appreciation thing, and he was smarter and more spiritual than me, but it impacted me. When they handed him the check on that Sunday morning, he said, guys, y'all have loved me. He'd been there 15, 16 years. He said, y'all have loved me, and I love being here. He said, but if you really want to honor, and I thank you for the monetary gift, but if you really want to honor your pastor, Wednesday night's prayer meeting, because we will never be what God wants us to be until we get back to prayer. Now, I'm going to say that again, because you missed a good place to say amen. 
If the church is ever going to be what God wants it to be, we have to get back to prayer. And we don't just have to say it with our mouths. We have to say it with our bodies. We have to say it with our schedules. We have to say it with our attitudes. We have to say it with our lips and get to praying. Of all the things that Jesus has taught, the disciples, prayer ended the list. In fact, the disciples didn't say, Jesus, teach us how to do miracles. Jesus, teach us how to be great preachers. Jesus, teach us how to be good people. What they said is, Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. They were servants and they were going to pray. Now, get the picture. They're going through this gate called Beautiful. It's the same gate that they've been through many times before. How do I know that? Because I think Peter and John were the first Baptists, and they do the same thing every time. They went through the same way. They went through the same gate, the same place. They were servants, and they were going back. The second thing I'll tell you about them is they, now they were sensitive. Now they were sensitive. Why am I saying that? Well, they had just come out of the Pentecost experience. They would just been filled with the Holy Spirit. And now they're going in this same gate that been dozens of times before, if not hundreds of times before. This guy was being laid there every day. That's what the Scripture says. He's laying there daily. And they, how many times did they go by there and not seen him? Or if they had seen him, you know the drill. Somebody's needing something. You don't want to kind of look around them. You don't, want to catch their, you don't want to catch their eyes because if you catch their eyes, you're going to have to say something. But now they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when this man called, watch how they changed. Watch how sensitively he didn't, he didn't look the other way. He didn't try not to catch his eyes. He turned and he said, look at us. Look at us. You see, the way they were sensitive is we dealt with it two weeks ago. They were now spirit-filled. They were now being led by the Spirit. Their souls were sensitive to the Spirit. I suspect, I suspect that when they heard this voice and the Spirit of God stirred their heart, they turned and said, looked at us, I suspect that they had flashbacks. Flashbacks of how many times they had seen Jesus in a similar situation. He was going somewhere in a hurry and somebody hollered. He, he was going somewhere looking for someone and someone hollered. Because you see, Jesus had put them through this discipleship program. Now, I, I, let me just pause here to say this. We're starting some uh, small groups. In fact, I don't have the sign-up list today. But if you've not been in a small group, none of our small group leaders have spoken to you and invited you to be a part of a small group. If you'll let me know, I'll get you with some. We had some talks yesterday that we don't want to miss anybody because small groups are going to help us in our discipleship. But make no mistake, small groups are one kink in the cog to build relationships and to build you spiritually. True discipleship is not necessarily a Bible study or a book study or a small group, although those help. True discipleship is more like an internship. It's like an electrician. You can go study the books all you want, but you're not getting your license until you go out and get some hands-on. The truth is, is that Jesus had carried them with him, and they had seen him 
Walking through the crowd, somebody shouts and he responds. They're walking through the crowd and this woman that's been bleeding for 12 years, spent all of her money, touches him. And he turns around and said, who's that? That's sensitivity. Who's that? Who touched me? And the disciple says, you have got to be kidding. You've lost your mind, Jesus. Do you know how many people touched you? And this one gal touched him in faith. How about the time he was left alone at Jacob's well and this woman came out? I got to thinking about that. She came out to Jacob's well to get the water for life. And she left after she had been to the eternal well with the water of life. You see, the truth is Jesus told them. Jesus told them and taught them and showed them. And by the way, when that woman... When that woman left, Jesus didn't give her what she could get on her own. Jesus gave her what she could not get on her own. And that's what was about to happen here at this beautiful gate. He says, look at us. And the guys ask for money. And he says, look, I don't have any silver or gold. Okay, this is the pause button right here. It's a pause button right here. He says, I have no silver or gold, but, I, but what I have, I give you. Pause. If that had been you, what would you have given? What would have come from you? What would you have given? What could you have given? You can't give anything you don't have. story about St. Thomas Aquinas going to visit the Pope. I think it was the Innocent II. And the Pope carried him through the palace. And he showed him all the money and all the gold that was spread out. And he said, you see, St. Thomas, The church no longer is in the age of saying, silver and gold have I none. And St. Thomas wisely said, true, Holy Father. But neither can the church say, take up your bed and walk. And therein lies our lesson about Jesus' church. Jesus has called us, gifted us, and empowered us to do more than we can think or ask. I know when I say this, some of you are going to go out here and say, my preacher's lost his mind. He said we can heal. I know. I'm I'm not telling you I can heal, but here's what I'm going to tell you what. The church can do more than she's doing today. Today, the church, be offended if you like. Today, the church walks in the power of man. And yet everything the Bible teaches us is that we should walk and live and move and have our being by the power of God. When it comes to healing, you want to know what I believe about that? I believe James 5. I believe the church becomes joyful and encouraging and spirit-filled and unselfish and becomes sensitive servants. I believe that we have a need that we can bring it to the Father And he will heal. He will hear. 
But now be careful when you pray for healing. Be careful when you pray for healing. Dale, I did not know you were going to be here today, but be careful when we pray for healing. I had a man in my preaching class, my first preaching class, seminary extension. He was now in his 50s. I was in my 30s. He had walked away from the Lord 20 years earlier because he had lost his wife to cancer. And as he preached that, as he preached that first message, he said, I left God, turned my back on him. I said, just a few months ago, he began to get my attention again, and I went back to him, and I said, God, I haven't spoken to you for a long time, and and the word was clearly, I know it. And he said, I prayed for you to heal my wife, and you didn't. And he said, men, God said to me, I did heal your wife. She's fine. I just didn't do it like you wanted it done. You see, we, when we walk in the Spirit of God, we have the power of God. Paul writes now to him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. His power flows in. His power flows through. His power flows out from his people. Jesus, church. The last thing there, and I know I'm out of time, is they were servants. If I put it in right, they were sensitive servants who were sharing. Sharing. If we desire to be a Jesus church, sharing is a requirement. He said, but what I have, I give. It requires us to give. Now, folks, we give. We give money. We give money very well at times. I've been with us long enough to know (laughs) that at times we don't give very well. You don't know this, but I have a couple of spreadsheets in my office. I track our attendance. I track, I track our gifts, so I know kind of where we are healthy. We went through a period of time this year where, for no reason, we didn't give very well. In fact, Beth came in with her, her forehead wrinkled a couple of times. I don't, I don't understand that. No sickness, no things like that. Are, but we are giving, we generally are a giving church. And we should give. Now, I'm talking about money. So if anybody leaves here and says, Brother Jerry talks about nothing but money, on the record, first time I've mentioned money in 14 months. We should be givers. We should be sharers. But we must give ourselves first. Now, it's true that where your treasure is, there your heart is, Your treasure reveals where your heart is. But Christ is calling us. He's calling us to Jesus. He's calling us to his word. He's calling us to his work. And Peter and and John shared what they had. 
And I've said it before, you cannot share what you don't have. I don't have any money, but what I have, I give you. I've got a schedule full of time. Brother Jerry, do you know how my schedule is? Yeah, your schedule is just like mine and everybody else's. It's whatever you put in it. <laughs> my schedule is not my own. No, it's your own. You get to schedule what you do. Do you know why these men were such great sensitive servants? It's because they never got over Jesus. They never got over their Savior. They remembered his example. They remembered how he, how he served people in a sensitive way. They remembered what he did, and they wanted to do likewise. So I've got a couple of questions. This may be an unusual invitation today. I want you to think about it. It shouldn't all come from the preacher's heart. How is it that we can share with this community? We've been inside the building long enough. Hello? <laughs> We've been inside the building long enough. How can we share with this community? What is it that we can do? I dare say that in a congregation our size that there are people sitting there in the pew going, boy, I wish Brother Jerry, I wish the church would do this. I wish we would do that. I wish, And nobody's ever thought of it because God gave it to you to bring to us. How can we share our community? How can we serve our community? We're making a stab with the upper room, other few things. What can we do to let this community know of his love and his grace and his mercy? How can we let them know that God loves us? And because he loves us and we know he loves them, we know that he wants to love them through us. Hello? So the starting point of being a Jesus church is having Jesus in your heart. Having Jesus in your life. It's more than just people say, invite him into your heart. Well, Jesus being in your heart is the result of your salvation, not the act of salvation. You put your trust and faith in him. He comes into your life and resides in your heart. Is he on the throne of your heart today? Let's bow together.